Hi, and welcome to the Open Government Podcast. I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Each episode of the Open Government Podcast, we bring you an interview with someone working on open government and citizen engagement in their community. And today we have Mary Antoinette Flumian, a former deputy minister with the Canadian federal government and currently the president of the Institute on Governance, an Ottawa-based not-for-profit and independent public interest institution whose mission is to advance better governance in the public interest. A number of years ago, I was introduced to a bureaucratic term that appears to share some of the blame as to why innovation is stifled in government. And that term is the clay layer. And I was wondering if you could expand on that point just a little bit for us. Well, in terms of the clay layer, I think what people are referring to is the many, many layers that are actually present in any large bureaucracy. Uh, It's a function of government. It's a function of financial institutions. It's a function of insurance companies. It's a function of any large uh, telecom industries, any large companies of that nature. And what does it refer to? It refers to the fact that uh, even when decisions are made about directions for change, which often in large bureaucracies come from the top down, uh, getting those messages through to the people that actually have to be engaged in, uh, let's say, this area of citizen engagement or citizen service generally starts with um, getting that message through to the front lines, the folks that are most intimately uh, aware of citizens' needs and expectations um, doesn't always just refer to the front lines. In a policy function, it also refers to the policy analysts working on those areas and issues. But but typically, since so much of what government does is in the service context, it does refer to the regulators, to the service providers, uh, to the people who service the needs of of Canadians in in many ways. Um, So uh, trying to figure out um, how to deal with that particular issue is is key to driving change and transformation. Um, in the early 90s, we or in the 90s, rather, the later 90s, we saw the first attempts at the level of the federal government and also across provincial jurisdictions of starting to delayer levels of management. Right? Uh, that's something that government didn't invent. It's a feature of all large institutions where they'd grown larger over time, where our processes were paper-based, where in order to manage the spans of control and to get things done, uh, other layers of management were added. So part of the solution was seen to be taking some of that layer out. So uh, there was a lot of that delayering going on. And... But I'm not sure that in the process of delayering, we got much more effective at actually understanding how to manage um, those who look after citizens' interests directly. And therefore, for the last many years, again, any large bureaucracy, not just uh, the public service, um, the, the need to manage the change, the need to engage employees almost as much as you're wanting to engage citizens, because you can't just jump to the conclusion that you say, let's engage citizens and tomorrow everybody will. It's as important in any transformation exercise to figure out how to engage all of your employees, as many as possible. is probably the hardest part of driving change. And you want to engage them because, of course, having spent their life working in the domain, and sometimes it's a lifetime and sometimes it's just part of a career because they're younger, but they have lots of good ideas about what actually is required to engage citizens, serve citizens in different ways. So you want to engage them for their ideas, 
But you also want to engage them in a sense that their hearts and souls have to also understand, as well as their minds, the purpose for transformation, the, the imperatives for citizen engagement, the imperatives for open government, the imperatives for doing it differently. And the imperatives, unfortunately, are often cast as cost savings and efficiencies. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm completely convinced from the work I've done in my lifetime that by delaying the process, by engaging your employees and citizens in very different ways, working together, we do find better, faster, and often cheaper ways. And the cheaper is especially true these days because the advent of the technologies that we have at our disposal um, some are free, some are very low cost. They allow us to reach people as never before. We don't really, in terms of the dialogue, have to invest in the huge IT investments that large entities and especially governments had to make even 10 years ago, even 15 years ago. Uh, today, we're in a different space where those engagement tools um, can take us to very different spaces. But they're not of any help to us unless we understand what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to achieve it. Unless we understand that the world of governance, which is the world that government is in, has become one that is um, like an ecosystem mm-hmm. and that everybody in that ecosystem has something to contribute and that therefore, whether it's the silos or to come for full circle to your question, Richard, about the clay layers, the clay layer is only a different way of forming a silo, in which case now it's uh, horizontal instead of vertical. But any kinds of buffers of that nature, right, uh, and clay not being very porous, that's why it's a clay layer, uh, they're not helpful, right? It's just a, a different way of reconstructing the silo. So if we believe that the world of governance is an organic world, and I f- believe that fundamentally. Absolutely. Right. Then we have to figure out how we use the tools at our disposal these days, how we use the data and information at our disposal, And most importantly, how we empower and allow people throughout those complex systems, whether they're inside the system as employees of government or outside the system as citizens who want to contribute to how to make it better, either for themselves or for a broader group of people in their communities, um, how we empower those people to actually take advantage of the ecosystem approach and the thinking that has got to underpin it so that we can serve Canadians better and that they can serve themselves better because the tools the government's put at their disposal as well. So well, go ahead, Samir. No, no, I'm just, I'm just, I was just going to remark that I'm really glad we recorded that because I'm going to listen to it over and over again. <laughs> okay. It perfectly encapsulates kind of the struggles that we've been having that even people on this podcast have mentioned around uh, working within a system that inherently has some issues to it and we need to start rethinking that system do do you have any examples just off the top of your head of where that's being done this kind of thinking of the ecosystem where it's being done well or how it's going well i mean the the world leaders right now in thinking about uh they they might not not necessarily talk about an ecosystem approach i mean that may be more my take on how to perceive this but i think If you don't describe it to people that way, if you describe it to people that way, it's a metaphor they can understand. If you describe it to people in terms of we're going to fix health care, we're going to fix education, all those things are are true and good. But but you need another metaphor because you can apply the ecosystem approach to all of those domains. Right. So people don't necessarily talk about it that way. But let me let me step back for a sec. 
a lot of the leaders in the, in the world at the global level still have to be um, the kinds of things the UK is doing, right? Uh, the kinds of initiatives that they're pushing at the cabinet level, uh, the fact that they're, uh, and they have a minister responsible for this kind of uh, process, um, the fact that they have brought in people from the outside who are very conversant with how the technology is used outside of government in a, in a, in a more ecosystem kind of way. Um, of course, those people are leading huge parts of the British public service that are actually um, very knowledgeable in the ways of government and how government has worked. But working together, they can probably help to restructure the internal organization. Uh, you're always going to have to have organization in any large organizations, but the organization, the, the organization of your work shouldn't become an impediment to the outcomes that you're actually trying to achieve. So the Brits continue to do wonderful experimentation, leave the field. Uh, in Canada, if I come more closely, and let me start with the federal level, um, there have been, you know, at least two singular events in terms of uh, structuring of trying to engage citizens differently. One is Service Canada, where I had the pleasure of being the first deputy minister. The concept there is that it would be in one single source, someone would actually be looking out for the citizen's interest. And therefore, as much as consolidation and as much joining up of the various services the government needed was kind of what was driving that concept. Um, I think that they've done a lot to consolidate the work that was started, and I think we'll probably see over the next period of time, especially given the advances in the, in the way that technology can now support that kind of engagement, I think we'll see a whole bunch of additional progress on that front. Um, you'd also seen at the federal level in terms of trying to modernize the tools of government – uh, especially in the technology domain, the creation of Shared Services Canada, which, you know, uh, people are still uh, licking their wounds over because a lot, large chunk of IT departments disappeared into a model that's trying to drive the change centrally. And I'm a big believer in trying to drive the change centrally, drive it, trying to drive change centrally, not because I'm a believer in centralization, but I am a believer that in large, complex bureaucracies, you need a central focus and accountability for how the change is going to roll out. And then because the technology these days allows us to be highly decentralized, you can bring the benefits of that kind of thinking to the whole system. So they're going to be doing lots of things there that they're starting to roll out um, that will make it easier for people inside to have access to tools to engage with themselves internally across a complex system, but also with Canadians externally. Right? The notion, for example, it sounds very simple in this day and age, that every time you change jobs in the federal government, you're changing email addresses so people can never find you again. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's it, it's so it's so simple and yet it's so profoundly different than the way government has functioned, right? So it, in some ways, it's almost laughable that we're starting that far back. But if we don't crack those very simple things, we can't start to roll out those other kinds of tools that are going to be necessary for people to do their jobs in, in the modern age. Uh, at provincial levels, um, there's stuff going on across the country. Uh, Ontario led the way in many things by consolidating uh, what used to be considered back office services so they could start rolling out tools um, in a whole-of-government kind of way for people to use. They cracked the email system issue many, many years ago, so if you're moving around in the Ontario government, 
so long as you work there, someone can always find you, which means that's a good thing in terms of a whole bunch of things. Uh, BC has been a leader for a long time um, in terms of citizen service, citizen engagement. If I go back to Ontario for a moment, we saw the constituent citizen assemblies. Um, we don't know quite how to use those tools in a, in a context where public engagement runs up against the silos of government, but I think experimentation has to keep going on so that we can figure those things out better. There are all sorts of environments where um, federally and provincially and municipally where uh, advice is being sought from citizens and budget-making processes, right? Um, so local governments will probably be the first ones where we're going to start seeing probably um, the kinds of immediate citizen interactions that uh, that you'd expect to see that you've seen in other jurisdictions like fix my pothole or fix my street or uh, um, the kinds of um, apps that have been developed to track where buses and other things are happening. Uh, we're watching a great thing playing out uh, every day uh, in every in every way you consume media, whether it's through traditional news and cable and television or whether it's through Twitter and uh, anything else that's out there as we watch the, the things happening with Uber, right? Yeah. And uh, actually, that's, that's a very interesting perspective, one that I never really sort of put together, which is this idea that people are more involved or more aware of federal and provincial politics, but they're more engaged with municipal governance. And yeah. uh, this pretty much actually wraps up our time here today, Mary Antoinette. You are a fountain of information, experience, and wisdom. I only wish we had more time to go into this, and maybe we can do a second part if you're interested at another date. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today, and, and please continue your great work with uh, the Institute on Governance. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, Samir, and I'd be happy. I'm always happy to spread the gospel, so let me know when you'd like to do it again. We'll definitely take you up on that. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Mary Antoinette Flumian from Ottawa, Ontario, on the Open Government Podcast. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can reach the Institute on Governance on Twitter at IOGCA or on their website at IOG.ca. And, as usual, you can always send us questions on our hashtag at OGTPod. Thanks again to Keith McDonald for the podcast music. So until next time, I am Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasa. We'll be back soon with our next interview. Thanks for listening.